to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, listener, and welcome to episode 130 of The Big Red Couch. Here in Aylesbury, I'm Craig, and in Auckland, possibly underneath the flight path of an air show... Here's Ben. I they've sort of pissed off now. Oh, good. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you for Nopi Airbase. Oh, so it's not actually an airbase. It was for much of the last century, but there's actually some sort of civilian airport now. Lashings of history. There may still be little bits of, mm. of military there. I'm genuinely not sure. We could have our tight air force on the damn thing. It wouldn't make a difference. <laughs> Distressingly accurate, yes. I, I think there are there are more military aircraft in the various bays and inlets around Fenuapai than there might be in our entire armed forces. Ouch. So, this episode... Of the Big Red Couch is episode 130. With the mind-expanding prompt, I owe it all to my digital wristwatch. Wow. That takes me back. I haven't had anything fusing to my sweaty, adolescent wrist, like some sort of Cronenbergian body horror thing, for, well, at least that long. How about you, Greg? <laughs> for quite a while, I, I do actually have some pictures of me wearing a wristwatch of a digital nature, one of which I am also wearing a cow hat and a Met Gen Con. Don't judge. But um, no, I kind of got out of the habit of wearing a watch at about the same point that I got into the habit of carrying a smartphone. Well, yeah. Uh, it's only comparatively recently that I've started wearing one again, and that's because it is a smart watch. Hmm. Sorry, you said cow hat? That sounds a bit judgy. It does. <laughs> I'm looking for... Uh further judginess to expand on well i haven't yet come up with the uh, the, the title card for this episode so oh. it's entirely possible that i'm just going to use that image as the title card for the episode for s- i haven't seen the picture question but listeners be assured that i'm imagining craig with his head squeezed into the um, the mid portion either top or bottom i can't really decide which is more ridiculous of a plush cow and it's not that Far from oh, good. <laughs> the truth. I think it was um, it's basically a standard issue kind of Jersey cow thing with little horns ah. uh, because it was a Quags game. Oh, right. One of the other players was wearing it, but then my character got magically illusionified to look like a cow. So you... And so handed me the cow hat in order to be convincing. With predictably ridiculous consequences. Yes. So it's something that might be the Skype's ma- uh, management of the packets between our computers. But also, I can't quite hear the H in hat. So it's coming more almost as Pat. So um, I'm not sure that's an international uh. thing. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. It's like, people wear cheese on their heads in Wisconsin. So I was wondering if it was a Middle America thing. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. I mean, I know there is a town in New Zealand that has cow-pat throwing competitions. And it might be a bit local for... um, I don't know if that's an internationally accepted term, but yes. You can probably guess what feature of a cow we are are talking about. So I imagine that's a a fun rural entertainment that's been been enjoyed for centuries around the world. So that's that's not unusual. Cow-pat hats, though. You know, it might be a niche... Some sort of Etsy thing that, that someone wants to take up. I mean, I'd, I'd search, but I'm worried that I will find multiple sites, and that would make me sad. <sighs> well, you mean your, your faith in humanity hasn't been crushed this week. All right, fair enough. Uh, I still hold some lingering hope that somewhere, possibly outside of the land of Brexit, uh, there is sanity and, and light and hope in the world. Fair enough. All right. I'm not sure where. France, maybe? Cool. Ireland? <laughs> that was a particularly ridic- ridiculous diversion based on my uh, degrading hearing. <laughs> but <laughs> mm, mm. So, yes. Today, today's episode, I owe it all to my digital wristwatch. Yeah, this has been a little bit challenging. I mean, what as I, as I intimated, the only thing that I really owed to a digital wristwatch was... Being briefly half as cool as the other kids at primary or intermediate, one of the two, and 
a weird sort of grubby mark around my uh, left wrist. I mean, it was a time in my life where being places on time was not a huge priority. Being in a small town where I could cycle across the entire thing in an hour or so, and having very few drawings on my my, my my personal time. So I'm at a vague loss as to why I needed one. Maybe I'm just, uh, this is nostalgia goggles kicking in, but yeah. Admittedly, I am thinking back to to my my school days and trying to come up with circumstances where you actually needed to know what time it was. Sometimes for catching buses. Maybe, maybe. Not finding yourself at the arse end of the school fields when the bell rang, but that's about all I got. Yes, I mean, I had I developed um, a color-coded slip for all of the periods of the day and the week. So I had a tiny laminated piece of um, cover sealed, I think, piece of cardboard that so I could tell where I needed to be. But our rooms didn't change, the order didn't change. They set a bell off, and you know, you were uh, I was. Probably in the largest school in the town I was in. You know, we had five high schools, and ours was the dirtbag co-ed one. But unless you were making a solid effort, you could not get very... Fa- you, you, you would you'd be close to where you needed to be. So, yeah, and one of the th- one of the things... I've done some very light research for this, this topic. And it seems like the heyday of the, the digital wristwatch, from hindsight, seems very brief. They started to become into their own like in the very early 70s and the bottom had fallen out of the market by like 76 or 77 wow it it was just one of those things where at the time it looked like moore's law was fully in effect you know fabrication and you know the, the 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 ability to make these things smaller and cheaper and quicker eclipsed what you needed to display the time consistently on someone's wrist in you know units of weeks and they went from being some of the early the early stuff are like gloriously chunky LCD stuff. They all seem to have like a, a round dial because everyone knew that clock faces were round, surrounded by like bulbous silvery kind of seventy space age things, and you know quite thick as well because and they were still working on the miniaturization. Big old chrome, chunky boys, and within a couple of years they're actually starting to resemble, along with their brethren, the hideous calculator watch. Uh, the hideous calculator watch. Um, yes, the sheer, the sheer number of times that I can remember people at school being accused of cheating with the hideous calculator watch, even though it would be alarmingly obvious to anybody that they were doing so if they were stabbing at their own wrist with pencil. Yes, boop. Which was the only way of actually pressing one button amongst many. Yes, boop, boop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was the brief heyday of the the... the Crappy little game on watch. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the Nintendo game and game and watch things, which mm. were rid- obviously patently not watches. They were could possibly function as a bedside clock because they did have a little light, I think, but they're running on teeny weeny little button cells, and the games are like the the like absolute shit. Though they were they they were the best thing we had ever seen, a, like a computer game you could hold you could hold in your hands. And yet, <laughs> and yet, so yeah, it's a, uh, and they've survived. Obviously, there is definitely a community of people who've really, really fascinated and collect these sort of timepieces. But yeah, it's an, it's an odd thing that got eclipsed very, very suddenly. It's not, it's not impossible to think that some sort of innovation will do that to personal computer or something. I mean, to a degree, smartphones have replaced. Mm. computers for a lot of functions for a lot of people but you know the computers still hang around computers still hang around. i guess they're a little bit more specialized and for the gamers but yeah there's a seeing something had something had sort of like hit its technological stride that fast and then just coast they keep, you know, they, they still release sports editions with things with more and more um buttons and dials and so forth but yeah really kind of an odd you you, i guess i'm saying is you are solidly placing yourself in a portion of history where someone would go and i owe it all to my digital wristwatch well that is that is kind of where i went to with my idea Mm -hmm. was was focusing in on that phrase because 
what it put in my mind is how absolutely clanging the term digital wristwatch is now. Yeah, it... I, I can't think of a circumstance where anybody would actually use that term. It, to bring, to highlight the fact that their watch was on their wrist. Look, folks, I, my watch is on my, on my wrist. Because they wrist, was it armed watches or bracelet watches have existed for a long time. That's not so remarkable. And the pocket watches is yep. a known thing. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are something that have died out, except that we call them cell phones now. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, drawing specific attention to the fact your wristwatch is digital places you quite astonishingly. Mm. Because I didn't want to do a Space Invaders type story that put me very much in terms of the time traveller attempting to blend in in the hello fellow young people kind of way. Mm-hmm. And just using this absolute, this phrase that basically just hangs an enormous sign on them that says, something's not right here. And it kind of put me in mind of, with that sort of story, with the, the idea of uh, time traveller kicking around, mm. you've basically got two approaches. You can go with, you are playing the time travellers in question, who are doing their best to blend in. But rather than go with the the approach taken by um, obvious example for me at least at the moment being the game Time Watch, where they've got disguise stuff going on and they've got some some fairly extensive ability to to blend into the local culture. Mm. If you dial that back a chunk so that you are rather more in the oh there was the TV show Time Timeless Time. It could be timeless. It's the one that went to like three seasons in a movie in the last couple of years. That'd be the one. Yep. Yeah. Timeless. Where you know, they are effectively dressing up in costumes and trying not to make too many errors. Right. If you've got sort of your, your, your time operatives doing their thing in about that, um, at about that level, uh, that could be quite entertaining. Flipping it around... You've probably got a really nice setup for a kids on bikes game, or if you want to make it a little bit darker and creepier, perhaps a Tales from the Loop game, where there is something rather more sinister going on. The miscellaneous adults are not spotting the fact that this person is using terminology that's just not quite right. They're not they're mm. not using the language the way somebody who has presumably grown up speaking the language would use it, but the plucky teenagers are the only ones who've noticed. Right. So and have to save the day from the erstwhile time troubles. Indeed. It's a very much a Flavio, my good Hotman, scenario. Pretty much, yes. Except creepy. Yeah. I mean, ideally, certainly if I was going with the um, Tales from the Loop approach, it would be, yeah, whatever these people are here to do, it ain't good. If I was going with more of a kids-on-bikes approach, the temptation to aim it at kind of about the Goonies level of risk would be quite fun. Hmm. Um, that maybe your time you know, your time travellers are up to something. Maybe they're not actually the bad guys. Sorry, the Goonies... might not necessarily be the... The Goonies level of threat's actually horrifying, if you recall Mama Fratelli threatening to blend someone's hand. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> But you, you, you're speaking less of, more of a more codified, these things are bad, these things are traps and dangerous, and these people are good and will, will prevail, versus a more ambiguous, nebulous terror. Basically, yes. Less, okay. less of the, the, the horrifying threat toward existence, and more of the, okay, let's get away with, from the creepy lady with the blender. It's, it's a tone thing. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. A tonal approach. Of the two approaches, I think probably the kids on bikes one is the most fun. I, I can see the problem if you've got a bunch of players attempting to blend in, that people are going to be very, very careful about what they say and how they say it, and half of the fun of that setting is the unintended cock-ups. Hmm. And you don't really want to have a roll for land random linguistic glitch table. But, say, a, a goof on a social interaction could be referring to taking a, a two-way radio communication on my um, cellular, cellular computer device or something like that. Mm. 
There was something I was listening to probably a few years ago now on a, I want to say probably the Jankcast, where they were talking about how badly some sort of teenage college movies had aged hmm. when I, I think it was because one of the um, one of the characters had a cell phone and this was a huge deal that why would a college student have a cellular telephone? Indeed. Uh, whereas nowadays the reverse is true. It would be fairly unlikely that you would find a college student or I suspect high school student who doesn't have a cell phone. That's not, strictly speaking, a bad thing. It, making a, mm. a, a, a elaborate plot point about it might be very confusing to folks. Um, Indeed. But it was yeah. probably very it's confusing. not going to age well. Yeah. I think attitudes and so forth might... I mean, it it's obviously it seems less universal. It's, it's specifically tied to a very um, specific time frame. But if you think of those sort of college movies, the fashions will also do that for you. So... Yeah, that is true. That's not such a big deal. It's sometimes it's a bit more of the the issue where you've got, I mean, the the cell phone problem comes up more in horror movies because now everyone's got to go. Oh no, I have no coverage and therefore cannot summon help. Well, I hope we aren't stalked by some sort of modern urban legend monster or something. It's perfectly safe to let our guard down, even for a second. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. But yeah, the um. The summing up the awkwardness that you might feel when somebody goes, "Wow, is that a you know is that a is that an actual cell phone kind of thing?" Yeah, getting that sort of vibe would, could be useful. Mm. I have a sort of addendum to that that okay, might good. be might be interesting because you spoke about kids on bikes. I don't know if you recall this, but there was a Kiwi kids show in the eighties called "The Kids from Owl." I. Do you remember this show? Then you will recall the amazing Spectrum era graphics that they put on screen. The constant beep boop noises in, in the back of most of these things. And the fact that it was a very, really rather progressive kind of, these, these kids have disabilities. They were, of course, be, being the age, obvious physical disabilities, you know. One was a wheelchair user, the other one was on crutches. Indeed. And would hang on to the back of the wheelchair user when they went to hyperspeed from recollection. Yes, yes, that was definitely the sort of thing that I, I expect to happen. And OWL was, I don't know what it uh, stood for anymore, but it was an acronym for a... Organization of World, for World Liberty, battling the Southern Latitudes International Movement for Evil. Wow, that's uh, some feat of recall there. I had cause to look this up within the last two weeks. I do not for the life of me remember why. Awesome. Okay. The 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 the, the terribly earnest um, but slightly creepy name Organization for World Liberty that seems very questionable these days, but the fact that they had what's a what's an appropriate term for that? The gear that they had that gave them personal um, like affordances for mobility and so forth. Well, also, like, uh, ad, you know, had a hyperspeed function or had lasers built into the, uh, the the crutches or things like that. That is kind of the territory where I'm. It sounds like this is where it's coming from. The idea of this this technological marvel, which is like also an everyday device. It's the kind of thing that you would that would come out of that era. So I thought that 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 is a and along with kids kids on bike. I mean, that a a doing. The kids from Owl as a kids on bikes thing would be pretty funny. Yes, it would. Hmm. And it does put a very different complexion on the, and I owe it all to my digital wristwatch, as kind of the, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that as the kind of slightly sly wink to the audience, because the audience knows that there's a laser in the wristwatch, but the people that they're saying this to do not. Because you, the audience, are in the know. That does feel like the 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 the, the series rejoiner, the punchline at the end of the episode. Yeah, and absolutely about this era. Um, one of the James Bonds had a laser in his digital wristwatch. I suspect. Oh God, I remember that. Yes, that, that was the era where they were starting to get really weird. So, uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan or a uh, late Roger Moore. I'm thinking late Roger Moore, maybe early Sean Connery, but I could be wrong on that one. Mm. I think Roger, it would have to be Roger Moore if it was still, still we're talking about a digital wristwatch. But yeah, it, it's a kind of a logical extension of the way those those tropey sort of things built up. So yeah, mm. 
that that would be quite fun. Yes, the the the, the, the cheesy eighties kids show approach. Ah, even better. The laser wristwatch appeared in the not actually James Bond film Never Say Never, or Never Say Never Again, and then reappeared in uh, GoldenEye later on. Not actually James Bond film? I'm deeply confused now. Never Say Never Again is the second theatrical James uh, James Bond film produced by Eon Productions and the second uh, film adaption of Thunderball. Because this isn't produced by Albert R. Broccoli, it's not technically a James Bond film. Ah. Yeah. So that would have been around about when... I suspect there was a... uh, There was seems to be some sort of uh, rights dispute and overlap. So... Which is... Gotcha. All right. Fantastic sort of espionage shit that we we come to expect from James Bond and the Broccoli family. Mm. Yeah. So it it definitely reeks of that era of technological marvels and personal trappings so yeah there's there's definitely an opening for a slightly cheeky slash cheesy spy thriller thing there it would be kind of you could make it a terrible gag about everything being solved by the digital wristwatch turn it into a sonic screwdriver of espionage and but i could see that joke becoming tiresome almost immediately yeah i mean that is that is right up there with some kind of wristwatch being access or activation thing for futuristic power suit kind of thing yeah you can see a terrible terrible cartoon in this the thing is that that the wristwatches are small and functional enough that you can't really unless you are deep in the 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 lore of watch manufacture or something i wouldn't anticipate you could do an entire uh, mighty morphin power rangers hero group based on their watch styles that would seem like needlessly specific even if you know they I mean the opportunities for product placement are enormous yeah but again kids don't buy presumably like like expensive wristwatches because they're 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 status symbols then kids lose shit (laughs) break shit you know the status status symbols of the the playground are very specific you know but also not vastly expensive wipes. I guess it depends on the playground, and I, it wasn't wasn't for me. But yeah, so I, I'm just imagining a really terrible um, Captain Planet thing, but with executives and saying Rolex, mm-hmm. Patak, Omega, various other watch. I, I don't know shit about watch. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, watch brands, but um, I, I don't quite know what they come together to form a captain of industry seems likely um, <laughs> captain of industry <laughs> like the, way the, the, <laughs> the name seems just awkward yeah that would be like the work the yeah that sounds like the a, a it sounds like a kid's cartoon from even more dystopian 1980s yeah it just yeah they, they form a, 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 a gigantic superpowered laissez-faire capitalist i'm I'm not sure i I don't really know where to go with this other than this is a terrible idea indeed indeed it's like (laughs) Um, battling the forces of unions and socialism and the environment (laughs) okay this thing practically writes itself but not in a good way indeed indeed it's uh it would not be very woke i suspect (laughs) no no but it, it, it allows you to have sort of I, you can just imagine the flashback episode when, rather than being sort of quartz, yeah, sort of chunky, um, elaborate, rich, analog-looking wristwatches that nonetheless have um, a bunch of electronics uh, in them, you go back a few generations and it's the pocket watch version and they're getting together to battle the insidious forces of the Teamsters Union and Jimmy Hoffa. Um, yeah. <sighs> yes. Terrible gaming idea number. Well, actually, we've lost count. Yes, I, this is this is literally playing the Skeksis, though. <laughs> it's it is it yes. would, would be satire at a at a level. By the way, if you haven't a chance to check it out, the uh, Dark Crystal uh, Age of Resistance is fucking amazing, beautifully beautifully rendered, and just quite a lot. 
Well, this, this is unfortunately where I I have to make an embarrassing confession to the audience. Ooh. Uh, that one of the weirder knock-on effects of my hospital stay, and I don't really know how this works, I have completely lost interest in television and movies. I cancelled my Netflix account. Fuck. <laughs> I just have no interest in watching anything anymore. Uh, I'm doing a lot of reading. But and as far as you can tell, there's no physiological reason for this. It's just you yeah, don't fancy it. Just, just don't fancy it. I did try to watch season three of Stranger Things, and after three attempts, got halfway through the first episode. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an odd one. Um, I, I don't have a punchline to this. It's it's not like I spent so long in in the hospital watching the TV in there and, and burn myself out on television because I never turned the thing on. Hmm. I think one of the hospital nurses may actually have checked that I knew that there was a TV because they kept coming in and I wasn't watching TV. And this is aberrant enough behaviour that they thought there might have been an underlying cause. Is there actually like a television gland that we just haven't been told about and yours was, 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 has been damaged in the, um, in the fracas? I mean, that, that is more or less where the injury occurred. So, <laughs> right, I mean, right. maybe. If it, it turns out your, your television gland, if it exists, is attached to the sigmoid colon, <laughs> which means it is perilously close to your ass. <laughs> well, it's on the way. Yeah. You did, did have an injury right in the fracas, so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right in the fracas, sort of pain centralizing the area between the fracas and the navel. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I, I think we've done terrible things there. Um, indeed, indeed. For the love of God, please tell me you have an idea. Well, it's sort of an idea. Uh, uh, it's a, I am struggling with the news that I am going to have to bring all of the uh, visual media references from now on. So... I, I, I mean, I, I work surrounded by people who do watch a lot of television and talk about it. It's just that these are going to be references to The Great British Bake Off... And Love Island. Oh, so, wow. yeah, you're going to be doing the lion's share from now on. Indeed, indeed. Huh. Right, okay. Okay, my idea is very silly and comes basically from some of the research I did just to familiarise myself with the weirdly precipitous arc of the uh, digital watch. And there's an odd note from history that keeps coming up that President Ford told a group of reporters that for Christmas in 1975... He wanted the solid gold calculator watch that was being put out by Pulsar at the time. Apparently, the reporters checked with Mrs. Betty Ford, and uh, it didn't happen after that, which is um, kind of... I mean, it, it did cost a princely sum, or presently sum, of $3,950 back in the day, which sounds like a bargain, but, you know, it was probably, like, real, real walking-around money. At yeah, the time. Back, back in the day when the dollar was worth a little bit more than it is now. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And having a look at it, it's a, it's it's horrifying. <laughs> but I noticed <laughs> on the box that it is called a time computer calculator. I'm oh my! Very, very briefly reviewing Gerald Ford's presidency. It was at a time of tension, disruption. There was a there was a the, the, there was a recession. It was a time where there was a lot of there was a lot of terrorism. People keep talking about you know it not being safe and things things being and that. But you know in the middle of the seventies, there was a lot of crime, a lot of disorder, a lot of hijackings and bombings and shit. And actually, while today we've got the, the, the we've recognised the problem might be the world is about to end, things are relatively more settled, with the exception of certain species of of disruptions. So, so it's kind of a, and, and he's being in the pre-Reagan era, he's kind of like that conservative that the conservatives currently don't talk about. Plus he lost to Jimmy Carter. And that's kind of a thing. <laughs> it's not exactly, yeah. The whole circumstances are probably um, more nuanced than that. But looking back in history, it's like, you got defeated in a presidential race by Jimmy Carter. You weren't really trying, were you? Mm. So, in the idea that we could needlessly rehabilitate President Gerald Ford's reputation, 
could definitely start a game about his adventures across time and space powered by his solid gold pulsar time computer calculator writing wrongs and doing all this this good stuff that he wasn't able to do because of the the nature of the world and the the presence he was dealing with beyond that i have no idea <laughs> okay i mean this this is right up there with the the old rpg net tangency shtick of time traveling teddy roosevelt and his time traveling rough riders oh true there's, there's a thing there yeah which i think included uh, emperor norton uh, diplomat and Eskrima expert. I think possibly battling a cybernetically enhanced Franklin Roosevelt. I'm not sure on that. Yeah, or you could do a weird conservative take on Time Cellist. Wow. <laughs> yes, rather than not the uh, an XP of Yo-Yo Ma. Um, <laughs> plucky young conservatives are traveling through time. <laughs> With Gerald Ford. <laughs> It's a very, very specific notion. <laughs> Wait, I think you would need to know a lot more American political history than either of us. Yep. Yeah, either that or you would need to throw out everything you know about American political <laughs> history. It's really, it's one or the other extreme, I feel. You, you can't half-ass this. You have indeed. To, you, you have to fully ask this or it has to be no ass at all. Indeed, Where is indeed. it even going? Yes, it would have to be fully asked, you're right. Yeah. As a notion, the idea that, that Jerry got his his blinged out watch calculator and got to battle, I don't know, the, force, the forces of um, liberals and so forth across time. Eh, it could be more problematic. I'm not sure how, but it could be. <laughs> you could have some fun with it. I mean, I, I am thinking of... of- by different accounts, awful and wonderful things you could do with it. If you know, if if he mentioned this watch, and it turns out that there is a very special version of the watch that has been constructed for a very special um, time agent, only somebody at the factory gets confused, mm. the packages get um, swapped, and that is how President Ford ends up with his time traveling wrist computer. So you could potentially potentially do a a take on Quantum Leap. Oh wow, yeah. Where he's bouncing around in the time stream, semi-controlled, writing wrongs and putting things the way they are supposed to be, always just trying to get yeah, trying to make that jump home. Hmm. Because that then enables you to start doing things again, you're mucking around with another country's political history, which Never causes problems at all under any circumstances, right? I don't normally do this, but I'm going to go with they asked for it. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> mostly been my attitude to uh, any any times anybody wants to take the piss of the British Empire. Cultural hegemony cuts both ways, my, <laughs> my view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. Did you see what these people did? Come on, really. But no, I like that, actually. Yeah, the, the, the President Ford unstuck in time trying to figure out how to do this but in, in resolving various issues along the way and you've got to, you've got to get some with some some time pun like backwards and forward or something like that to, to oh um, yeah oh nice yeah turning the clocks forward yes nice excellent um <laughs> oh this is terrible we are monstrous monstrous people don't sound surprised audience you knew it all along you knew who you were listening to. I haven't, I haven't deeply checked uh, the pre- that particular president's, president's history or, or ideals and so forth. So we might be worse than we thought. It depends. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm just loving the idea of it. Especially because it would enable you, if we assume that he's jumping around semi-randomly, but always mm. in his own past, hmm. then you could have, as your assumption that the goal on each stop is to make history the way he remembers it. Hmm. So, by definition, when he gets to a particular um, location, that's not what's actually happening. So it has to be fixed. Right. Again, so it's the he, he he's arrived somewhere, he's trying to blend in, but something is definitely wrong. Yeah. It can be kind of a 
like a uh, almost a Christmas tale kind of fable, where the he, he returns to the past, finds out that something is clearly wrong, but things are actually better than they historically were, and ends up fixing them, inverted commas, but also learning that history was fucking terrible, <laughs> and this returns with a, um, a, a a strong desire to figure to have reparations made going forward that would be kind of depressing though <laughs> yeah it's oh no slavery didn't end in this year it carried on for oh that's terrible oh my oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that'd be kind okay. of sorry. Rosa who 19 oh my um yes so i i mean i'm still liking the idea of doing it as a a a take on time cellist so that because if you've got time traveling um, Gerald Ford then yep. that's kind of one character if yeah. you've got time traveling Gerald Ford turning up and recruiting a bunch of plucky youngsters from whatever era mm. that has some more legs to it as it were and you, you you see the character sheets with amazing factoids about Gerald Ford so it's like gee Mr. Ford did you really uh, pardon President Nixon <laughs> you know <laughs> but you make it a mechanic that you you, you go back and like, wow, did you really pardon President Nixon? And, and it, it has a mechanical effect in the game of mostly making everyone feel like their souls have died very slightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of a, no, but I should probably read that memo he left for me. Um, <laughs> oh, the letter, right. Must get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was in that letter that was left for you? Mostly a lot of begging. It actually got embarrassing. I never got to the end. <laughs> it was stained with tears. It was, yeah. <laughs> Very. Yes, it was awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's an elaborate, an elaborate plan involving a cake and a file. <laughs> Maybe, yes. You might just have to just exit reality to the thing where President Ford is, in fact, battling evil Nixon through time in an attempt to rescue. The, his 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 you know his epistemological twin, good Nixon, so he can then pardon Nixon and 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 set that one free. It sort of becomes a Twin Peaks thing at that point, so it gets a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was wondering if yeah, the entire thing is trying to adjust the timeline to get the best possible Nixon, <laughs> the best possible Nixon. <laughs> oh dear, that's uh, that's even that's a dreadful concept. To, to, to anybody listening to this show, at this point, I've got to ask why. <laughs> um, but you know, for this like particular episode, who actually knows more about um, American politics and American history than we do, which I'm going to assume is virtually almost all of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're sorry, well, but not as sorry as we should be. Because, come on, this is funny. The idea of having a fictional version of a historical figure take themselves to task for the events it, 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 it's a little bit educational somewhat edifying you know that is true it could be a you, you could you could learn a lot about that period of history by by having these sort of things but yeah that's um plus you could do the occasional comedy episode of gerald ford at woodstock <laughs> yeah that's a as a whole thing that 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 i think maybe Maybe your strangest episode uh, episode idea yet. And that's saying something. It's just so uncalled for, I think, is the problem. <laughs> yes, I want to make a game about the time-travelling Gerald Ford bringing youngsters along on his adventures to write, to, to battle evil Nixon and to, to correct historical accuracies back to the bad history that they were supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's a whole. Okay, thing. that made it sound a lot darker than we were doing previously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of tried to synthesize all of the, the 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 fragmentary comments. I was like, yeah, it turns into, ooh, yeah, it's gonna be heavy. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of sounding like a much more lowbrow version of a, something in the era, era era sort of I don't know, misspent youth steal away Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> No, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe somebody with a bit more, um, yes, a bit more, a bit more experience handling sensitive topics would might, might might tackle this one. Mm. 
Yeah. Right, well, I think that's lost us most of our, uh, our, our US fan base. Um, exactly, exactly. It's uh, we, we can't we can't live without challenges of this sort. So, did did you come up with any further further ideas, or have any punts from the um, hopefully better informed? We well for, for this episode, not so much. We do have a comment from Taz about the uh, aliens have landed at Gen Con episode. Awesome. And there's also my my idea from a couple of episodes ago for religious cops trained to fight magic. Okay. My my idea, which uh, is scribbled into a notebook, um, regrettably interleaved with notes on medical insurance, which gives you a nice idea as to when I was coming up with it. Yeah, the prompt was religious cops trained to fight magic and um, came from, I think, an actual news story from Saudi Arabia from recollection. That is correct. We put it in the show notes and everything. Woohoo. So this one mostly came out of the sort of I the sort of story I didn't want to do. Cause I really, really didn't want to do a game in which religious fundamentalist police are actually correct. And I didn't do one where the the, the underlying theme was all religious people are amusingly deluded and bigoted against magic. Hmm. Neither of those ideas seem like fun yeah Yeah. they're not that original and they're not worth doing really kind of rude Hmm. so with this one I'm going with religious cops in the sense of police officers who hold some form of religious belief Mm -hmm. and the setup is that there's weird stuff happening it's not really being talked about that much because it's it's pretty odd and kind of unexplainable so nobody really understands what's going on but people are noticing and because this is presumably the officers of I don't know maybe a city police force are noticing that there are some similarities in these cases and incidents that kind of match up to stuff from their own theological or cultural backgrounds many different theological and cultural backgrounds and so this is kind of, this is effectively, this is not so much the, the religious cops training in some sort of battling the forces of magic boot camp way. This is, you know, the, the absolutely classic um, cop, yeah, cop who, who went to seminary before deciding that they wanted to be a cop more than they wanted to be a priest. Or um, cop who's actually an avowed atheist who is incredibly annoyed to find out that um, various things relating to their grandparents' um, annoying folk stories from the old country actually seem to be happening. Mm. Basically getting together on the sly to try to figure out a response to what's going on, to to the weirdness that is happening out there. Mm -hmm. My thinking was that something like the game The Strange might be a good starting point. I'm not familiar with that. Um, from Monty Cook Games, mm-hmm. uses the same system, more or less, as Numenera. The cipher system. That would be the money. Because I, yeah, I, went, I went Codex, Cryptic, no, that's another, that's a generic <laughs> name for most systems. Mm. Yeah, cipher, that's right. <laughs> yep, and, and the game basically is wrapped around the idea of uh, different... Effectively, different realities with possibly different rules impinging on our own. So, sort of in the, the same spiritual ballpark as talk, perhaps. Mm. Um, but it seemed like a decent fit for a game where you've got you've got sort of the really real world, as the saying goes, and then stuff that is not part of the really real world is starting to creep in. Right. So that was kind of where I came to came to for that one. Now, whether whether that game would be one where it's it's a police force becoming aware of the Dresden-esque magical world that has existed the entire time, but they weren't really aware of until some jackass rode a dinosaur skeleton uh, down the Magnificent Mile, hypothetically, or not calling whether anyone this out. is this is indeed uh, whether this is something new that's happening and you know maybe it can be pushed back maybe it can be dealt with 
maybe it's not actually the threats. You know, if you've got potentially the the the, the real world and a bunch of mythological and fabulous creatures start invading it, well, it could be that they're invading, or it could be that they're being pushed out of where they're from, and you really need to worry about what's making the scary things run away. Hmm. So that is where I went with that one, mostly out of the game, because of the games that I didn't want to make. Hmm. So what's the focus of the game? Result, like Resolving how you deal with the, these new perceived threats? Is it working back through the various cultural backgrounds to, fo- to find parallels and solutions to the problem via that? Or battling monsters with your, with your um, badge and gun? I I would put it as a a mix of maybe one third battling monsters with badge and gun, and two thirds the kind of you know, folklore and investigation. That would um, that would probably be how I'd divide it up. That it's it's kind of it's a very I, I imagine it as a, as a very weird police procedural. Mm. do worse than look at the show Grimm for it, because that one does have a fair amount of police work type stuff going on. It just also has were otters. Right. Okay. And and were sheep at one point. I seem to remember there were sheep. Could be wrong. Was there a character called Sean? I do not believe so, but it was set in the Pacific Northwest. That show may not have made it that far. Hmm... So yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would tend to play it as slightly off the books police procedural. Okay, would that would be that would be my take on it because I think sort of trawling through folklore as a game would get old quickly for me as a player. Well, you can use it to inform your characters' decisions and reactions and so forth. And if you use the belief has power paradigm. That could be where mm. they draw, at very least, their own personal resolve and, and so forth from, or possibly even how they best confront these things from outside of regular reality, which could be interesting. And so that would be the, the characters, the, 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 the player's contribution, saying, you know, that this is where my, where my character is coming from, this is how I'm going to do this, in the terms of the mechanics that we have in the game. So you give them a bit of leeway and so forth to find how they how they engage with the various supernatural threats. It does just, as we were, as we were talking, it did remind me of the ultra low budget film, Kung Fu Vampire Killers. Mm-hmm. Where through a, a series of poor decisions, um, a bunch of students in a shared house in Dunedin in, uh, in New Zealand are, basically being beset by hopping vampire ghosts ghosts or hopping vampires Um, and so their research in order to figure out how to deal with them is basically watching terrible martial arts horror movie uh, scenes in order to figure out what what, what the appropriate charm or command to be written on the the scrap of yellow parchment to attach to the forehead is Mm. Except, of course, they don't have yellow parchment, so what they use is the back of a FPOS receipt, right. which is yellow paper. Yeah, of course. It's that kind of film. So I'm kind of imagining a certain amount of that vibe of, yeah, we need to do some research on this. What have we got? We've got Netflix. Okay, let's run with it. That would be another approach or possibly set of beliefs that people could... Uh, yes, I don't think I've seen the entirety of the film, but I think I'm pretty confident I've seen the clip where the priest exclaims, I kick ass for the Lord, and then starts laying martial arts moves on hopping ghosts. Yeah. Also, I do remember a scene where they're desperately trying to keep somebody somebody out, and then, actually, this guy was never that uh, much of a great physical specimen when he was alive, at which point they just sort of open the door, let him in, and then just shove him in a wardrobe and, and lock him in there. Right. It's like, ah... Local knowledge. Always yeah. useful. <laughs> <laughs> that and transporting a temporarily immobilized uh, hopping vampire on a skateboard. That I remember. <laughs> okay. It was a strange movie. And deeply inspired by Mr. Vampire, I assume, because 
Mr. Vampire and Dracula, as as the uh, director put it, if you're watching a movie about um, uh, about vampires and there's a blonde woman in it, in it named Lucy, don't get attached. That sounds less like exactly inspiration, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like almost the opposite of inspiration. Cool. Okay. No, I can see. I can see that being done. I can. You can handle the uh, various belief systems in a fairly even-handed way without turning into hardcore atheist headcase or a general ne'er-do-well, so... Hmm. I, I do wonder whether the, um, the the brainstorming system out of uh, the Atomic Robo RPG might be a good approach to sort of effectively allow the players to define their own problem. Yeah, it's possible. It, there should be... Possibly want to keep the, the belief system siloed to a degree, except where there's obvious overlaps, or you could end up making sort of a syncretist sort of um, quasi-monster-battling religion with all sorts of... You know, you know how role players get, you know, that they, they, they... Hey, this vegetarian does this, this spell does this, this item does this, and we all bolt them together, we've made basically made ourselves a railgun. <laughs> oh, yeah, the undead-powered submarine. Ugh. Or the um, the shrink ray and the uh, ring of anti magic. <laughs> somebody who who somebody who is shrinking cannonballs, putting them into a a breech loading rifle with an anti magic ring around them, and basically turning the the their musket into a uh, a cannon of some sort. Wow! I yeah. think the worst one I ever ran into was the idea of casting a inscribing a fire rune onto the end of an arrow, so that when you fired at something, it disrupted the rune and exploded. Yeah. That sort of shit. called it the high explosive anti troll arrow. And the GM probably banned it. Eh. Ah, good times. Anyway, so, um, that was the terrible thing I did to that idea while under the influence of a lot of painkillers. Yeah, the fact that my brain immediately went to, to, to resolving the um, exploding arrow thing was like, oh, we'll just lay some, we'll just lay some uh, springy snare traps. So you're. <laughs> so the, the Mr. Mr. Hawkeye steps in it and is immediately dumped upside down along with the contents of his quiver. That's cold, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it, but that's cold. It, it, it's, that, unfortunately, is one of those those reflexes <laughs> that gave me back in the uh, bad old days before Yes and <laughs> Just kind of just, just hard wires. I would try and have that ref- that 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 reaction and analyze it and then see if I could come up with something that meets people a little a little more halfway. Something that's a little bit less. And this is my evil face. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. And after that cheery thought, Taz provided us with a response to the Gen Con Aliens episode from one twenty nine. I've got this fun scene playing in my head of the aliens challenging the humans to duel for control of the planet and following the rules of being the challenger, the humans choose electric cart jousting as their as weapons. Or mode of combat, I guess. If it's jousting, presumably you're not just smashing electrical electrically driven carts and whatnot. Not invalid, but still. Time for that one strange dude from the SCA, who turned up in full garb, of course, to save the day. I actually think the idea of the game within a game meta would work. Certainly stalling the aliens until the National Guard US Army shows up could, would be important. Yeah, no, and uh, I had the same feeling about the, the whole. We don't know what we're dealing with, but we have the commonality of we play games. Let's see if we can figure out what's going on while playing games. I think that's that's a good emotional through line for a game like that. Often the uh, the the in, in classic science fi certainly the army showing up was never a great thing because you had to do them. You basically you basically wharfed them um, or did something about the hubris of man and his and his science. As all the tanks quietly melt in the background. There's, there's some quality tank melting shots from an entire era of um, science fiction. It's gotta be said. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my initial thought upon reading Tess's suggestion was, weirdly, I know a guy with the key, with a key to those cats. Ah. Does he have lances and <laughs> those those little jousting shields because <laughs> perfect storm no but i figure that when you've got a full-on exhibitors hall mm. 
there's bound to be somewhere that does shields. And practically every one of the booths has kind of this scaffolding pole structure that holds it up. Right, nice, nice. Excellent. So, I mean, possibly the jousting is going to be occurring with somebody wearing SCA-style armor, carrying a Captain America knockoff shield, (laughs) and wielding a lance that is a section of sort of a booth curtain pole with a ridiculously elaborate shiny chrome sword duct taped to the end of it. This might be like very honourable just knock them off their horse. Maybe there is I put actually I put three people in a cart. One person to drive, one person to sitting on another seat on top of the seat to joust. Okay, yep. Someone in the background with a pair of coconuts. Because otherwise your epic joust is to, to the sound of Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am admittedly imagining a sort of a, a series a series of events, because if, if the gamers are basically just trying to fill time, then they will challenge them to multiple events. Particularly if they're doing the whole, we play games, let's see what we can get away with. The idea of challenging them to effectively some game of tag using the carts just so that you can have a very, very complicated Zamboni race around a convention centre. Hmm. And, you know, dressing it up so it looks like you are effectively playing off-rule set SCA jousting with some Klingons would, you know, maybe disguise what's going on until there is a better handle on the situation. Because mm. you mustn't start a panic. No, we'll wait until the first time somebody tries surfing one of those carts down an escalator. Indeed. Okay, so, yes. Um, I'm just imagining the, the utter mayhem that could be had with cart jousting gone awry in a convention centre. And it mostly involves a slow-motion sequence of one of the carts, for some reason, being on the second floor, smashing in slow-motion through the glass and kind of coming crashing down. A bit like that scene with the truck from Terminator 2, right. only with a more of a high-pitched electrical whine in the background. Indeed. Are you, are you re- pitching that as the a dramatic, aha, got you now moment, or the result of somebody um, failing a driving check and just auguring their cart into the fountain in the middle of the um, foyer or something. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy with it either way. I mean, the idea of the idea of a joust combined with hide-and-seek slash tag has a certain appeal. <laughs> so it's sort of somebody going uh, going along, looking for their opponent, and then there's just this smash! Yes. Tag! You're it! <laughs> um... Yeah, maybe the, the the international standard rule set for um, electric golf cart tag jousting um, need to be ironed out a bit first. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, Taz, for that. Yes, it's a compelling mental image, I've got to say. Hmm. All right. And with that, we may have exhausted all of our options to make people terrified of ever ho- opening a history book again. Our job here is done. Students of the future, you're welcome. Indeed. And uh, now it is left to us to um, announce the winner of the binding referendum on the next topic. You say winner. (laughs) I really have a feeling we may have all lost. (laughs) This is a win. I see this as an absolute win. Okay. Chirp. Chirp. All right. So uh, for this one, we have a very decisive winner with more more votes cast for this prompt than all of the others combined. So the um, the winner and prompt for episode 131 is, we have had multiple donkey upgrades at this point. Indeed. I don't know where that came from. I have a horrible suspicion it might be my fault, but I'm hoping I'm wrong. Fair enough. All right. So what is left for us to do is um, announce the... Items for consideration for episode 132. Starting with perennial favourite, though we notice not favourite enough, can I submit the entire documentary of Tickled as a prompt to the box? Followed by the ever unpopular Malevolent Immediacy. A newcomer on the scene. Big Red Couch Surfing. And a second replacement, as we have Deadpooled one of the, uh, the, the one about fraught silence. Tempest Red Eye Flight. There you go. There are your options. 
vote early, vote often, and uh, we will catch up with you next time for episode 131 when we discuss the multiple donkey upgrades which have apparently already occurred. I am already thinking of dreadful, dreadful burrow puns. It's, this is going to be terrible. All right, everybody. Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought of that. Mind blown. (laughs) Good night, everyone. Be afraid. Be afraid. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to H-O-A-R-D-E dot net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.